Uh, so this morning we are going to be continuing our series through the book of John. We've been working through John, and I'm actually going to go backwards on you. I know that last week we were in John chapter 8, but we're actually going to uh, take a step back and go into uh, and, uh, be in John chapter 7 this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. Uh, this was kind of a, a late change that I made. I decided that really felt like this was the passage the Lord was leading us uh, to look at this morning. So we are going to be reading just just three verses this morning, John 7, 37 to 39. Uh, but we're going to read the text, and then I'll give you some context, um, and then we will dive in. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, I'd encourage you to open it, read along. If not, the words will be on the screen behind me, and you can follow along there as well. Here's what John 7, 37 to 39 says. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let me pray. God, you are good, and you are worthy of our praise. Jesus, help us to see that you are the fountain of living water that our souls long for this morning. Lord, I pray that if for anybody here who is not born again and who's never made you their treasure, Jesus, that maybe they've been seeking after other things to try to fill that void and that hole in their heart. I pray that they would see and understand this morning, first of all, their, their sin, but second of all, your grace, and that, God, everything that they've been looking for has, is found in you. And I pray for those in this room who maybe are believers but have been drifting or have been tempted to go and turn back to broken cisterns that don't hold water and to, to try to look to the things of this world to satisfy. I pray that they would be reminded of your grace and that they would be satisfied once again by drinking deeply of the living water you offer us this morning. Jesus, just please open our eyes. Help us to see. Help me to preach, Lord. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Uh, Lord, I can't change anybody in here. I'm not up here to convince anybody of anything. I'm here to proclaim the word of God. And Lord, your word does the work. Your word is powerful and able to change even the hardest of hearts. So we pray that you do it for your glory this morning. God, and please teach us and help us become more like Jesus. Help us to love and treasure and adore you more than anything else, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So Jesus, um, at this point in, in John chapter 7, he had left the region of Judea because if you'll recall, back in chapter 5, the authorities were seeking to kill him. So I don't know if you guys remember from a few weeks ago, but you know, John chapter 5, 
verse 18 says that uh, the Jews were seeking to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This was after he had healed the man um, at, the, at the pool of Siloam on the Sabbath. And so he had left Judea and he had gone to Galilee. And in the region of Galilee, he was ministering to the people. He fed the 5,000. But then in chapter 7, he discreetly returned to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And so the Feast of Booths was one of the most popular Jewish festivals. Uh, faithful Jews from all around the world would come to Jerusalem and build tents and live in them for a week to recall God's gracious deliverance and provision when the people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness after God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. So by living in these tents, they were being reminded of the time before God had brought them into the promised land. And it was a reminder of God's faithfulness. And of course, one of the ways that God provided for them in the wilderness, if you recall, was he provided water for them in the middle of the desert. Two times he provided water from the rock. And so uh, one of the, at one point in the celebration of the Feast of Booths, one of the things that they would do is that the people on the last day actually would be led in procession by the high priest as they carried a jar of water into the temple and they would pour it out before the Lord as an offering along with the regular drink offerings. And so the water in the wilderness was meant to teach God's people. When he provided water in the wilderness, it was meant to teach his people that God provides not just physically, but most importantly, he provides for our spiritual thirst in the wilderness. And the, the water, the, one of the other reasons that they did this, this rite where they would bring the water into the temple and pour it out before the Lord is it was also symbolic of God's promise through the prophets that he would pour out his spirit on his people in the latter days. There's many prophecies like that. Uh, for example, Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, where the Lord says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my commands. So this rite where they would bring the water into the temple was also meant to commemorate that. It was meant to remind God's people that they were waiting on God expectantly to fulfill this promise. And it was also looking back to God's faithfulness and God's provision for his people in the wilderness. So that's the context that's the festival that's happening in which Jesus stands up on the last day and he cries out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So there was purpose and intent behind these words. It wasn't just a random metaphor that Jesus thought up. You know, that wasn't connected to anything going on. These words landed with significance on the ears of those who heard them. What Jesus is saying is that he is God's provision to quench our spiritual thirst in the wilderness. 
He's saying, you know how the Lord provided water for you in the wilderness and how that pointed towards how the Lord would ultimately provide everything for you, including spiritually? I'm that provision. The provision comes through me. I'm here. I'm the promise. I'm the fulfillment of the promise. And not only that, but it's, it's through Jesus that the promise of the Holy Spirit comes. So he's saying, you know how the prophet Ezekiel and the prophet Joel prophesied that God would pour his spirit out on you in the latter days? It's through me that that promise is fulfilled. That's what Jesus is announcing and declaring on the last day of this festival. Jesus is giving an invitation invitation back then. He's giving an invitation this morning to all of us here to eternal satisfaction. And that's relevant to anyone in this room. Everyone on this planet wants to live a life of meaning and fulfillment. People search for it all over the place. Maybe you're on that search right now. Maybe you're looking for fulfillment, contentment, meaning. For those who are spiritually thirsty, Jesus has an invitation this morning. Or maybe you're a Christian. But your eyes often wander. And you find yourself thinking, if I could just find a spouse, or if I could... If I could just get this job, or if God would just heal my body, then things would be better. Then I'd, then I'd be okay. Then I'd be content. But Jesus has an invitation for you too this morning. I want us to look at there's four aspects of Jesus' invitation to eternal satisfaction this morning. So there's four, four aspects. We're going to answer four questions about his invitation. Four questions are this. First of all, who can come? Who can be satisfied? Where should they go? What must they do? And what will the result be? So who can come? Where should they go? What must they do? And what will the result be? So we're going to answer those one at a time. First of all, who can come? Who can be satisfied? But Jesus, in verse 37, says, If anyone thirsts, let him come. So the good news is that the only qualification for coming to Jesus is to know that you are thirsty. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means a thirst for God. He's talking about a spiritual thirst. A spiritually thirsty person is someone who knows his or her own sin and longs to be reconciled to God. It's someone who reflects uh, the first uh, and the fourth beatitude. So Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. In Matthew 5, 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know how, have you ever been like really, really thirsty? Like maybe you just got done with a really hard workout or you've been outside working in the hot sun for a long time and you're like really thirsty to the point where you're like, I need water. Mm -hmm. And you don't want anything else other than water. Your body's just saying like, I need water. Despite the fact that Sprite might claim that it can quench your thirst, you know, like your body's like, nope, don't want Sprite. 
don't want soda, don't want coffee. I need water because I'm really, really thirsty. That's what a spiritual thirst for God is like. Those who are spiritually thirsty know that nothing else will quench their spiritual thirst but God. Not Sprite, not coffee. I need real water. That's what Matthew 5, 3 and Matthew 5, 6 mean. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who recognize their spiritual destitution and recognize that God is the only one who can fill that void. The only one who can quench that thirst. Spiritually thirsty people know that they are sinners who've been seeking and serving idols rather than the living God that they were created to know. That's like drinking salt water when you're lost at sea. Whenever you start trying to fill your life with things other than God. And, and while it might temporarily feel good on the tongue, all it's doing is accelerating your dehydration and your inevitable death. Whenever you're looking and consuming things besides God to fill that spiritual thirst. And spiritually thirsty people are tired of the salt water. They long to know God and they're tired of living in sin. Is that you? Come on, bro. Are you tired this morning? Are you tired of, of consuming things that you're trying to look to to fill your life and to bring yourself contentment and you don't and you know it's just making you more thirsty? I've got good news for you this morning. The good news is recognizing that is the first step in coming to God. In fact, knowing just how helpless and sinful you are is the very thing that qualifies you. That's what Jesus is saying. That's literally what qualifies you to come in the first place. J.C. Ryle says the beginning of all true Christianity is to discover that we are guilty and needy sinners. That's the, that's the beginning. So yes, the chasm between us and God is great due to our sin. And we don't deserve anything from God. But Christ Jesus has bridged that chasm. He left heaven and came to earth to die for our sins so that spiritually thirsty people could come to him. The bar has been set gloriously low. Well. <laughs> That's awesome news for sinners. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to God. Just be thirsty. That's the first and most important point you can get here. Just be thirsty. Are you thirsty this morning? Second question is, well, where do we go? So anyone can come. Anyone who thirsts can come, but where do we go? Let's look what Jesus says carefully. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me. We're, we're to come to a person. We come to Jesus. Jesus doesn't invite us to a place. He doesn't say, come here and then I'll give you what you really need. He says, come to me and drink of me. In other words, so Pastor John Piper puts it like this. He says, Jesus doesn't just have what our souls need. He is what our soul needs. So we don't go to Jesus to get something from him. We go to Jesus to get Jesus. A relationship with God is not a transaction, but oftentimes people treat it that way. Even as believers, we can get, uh, you know, we can slip into treating it like a transaction. Like, you know, if I pray, 
if I memorize scripture, or if I have enough faith, or if I get into a discipleship relationship, if I do all those things, then God will do his part. He'll take away my problems, or he'll take away my pain, or he'll grant the desire of my heart. But the problem with this is that God is treated as a means to an end. He's not the treasure. He's just who you go to to get what you really want. Mm. And so you're actually deceiving yourself because you're, you're talking like a Christian and you're using language like Jesus is your treasure. But what you're, do, what you're actually doing is you're still drinking salt water. You're just acting like you're going to God to get the salt water. Mm. You're, you're, you're going to God and, and thinking that God's going to give you something that's better than himself to quench your thirst. And all along, he's the one that quenches your thirst. All right. he, there's nothing God can give you that's better than himself. Mm. In fact, if God were to give you something less than himself to satisfy you, it would be unloving of God to do so. Yeah. Because there's nothing more glorious and satisfying and beautiful than God. He would be giving you less than his best. So because God loves us, he will often withhold things that we think we need to be happy or to be satisfied in order to give us what we actually need, mm. which is himself. Now, does God at times take away our problems or our pain or satisfy the desires of our hearts? Yes, yes, he does. He cares about those things, and it's not wrong to pray for them. It's not wrong to pray to, for God to remove pain or to heal or to, you know, for a spouse or whatever it is. But we need to carefully examine our motives and ensure that we aren't looking to those things as the answer to our spiritual thirst, okay? Wow. In John chapter 6, I mean, we're seeing this throughout the book of John, that Jesus is trying to teach the people this. In John 6, the people were following Jesus because he gave them bread. Hmm. Right? Their sights were set far too low. And what does Jesus say to them? He's like, I am the bread of life. Hmm. Right? So he says, stop, stop coming to me because I fed you a snack. Well, like the, the bread is meant to point you to the fact that I am the bread for heaven who came down. Whoever eats of me will live forever. Same thing in John chapter four. Remember when Jesus is talking with the Samaritan woman and uh, and the Samaritan woman wanted Jesus to show her a well of running water so that she wouldn't have to leave the house to come and draw water every day anymore. She was like, that sounds great. Her sights were set too low. So what does Jesus say? He says, I, I offer you living water. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, pointing to the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. Mm. And he's saying the same thing here in John chapter 7. Remember, the Feast of Booths was a time when they remembered God's provision of water in the wilderness. So Jesus wasn't saying that he would give them water to drink like Moses did. He was saying, I am the drink. Come to me and be satisfied forever. Are you coming to Jesus because you believe that he can provide you what you really need? Or do you believe that Jesus is the one? Whether it's a spouse or a job or money or whatever it is that you want, if Jesus is just the means to an end, then you'll remain thirsty. Mm. Uh, 
Shy Lin's a Christian hip hop artist, and one of his songs has a line, and he says, "If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money is. Hmm. You could substitute anything. If you come to Jesus for a relationship, you know, with you know another person, then he's not your God. Relationships are. Or oh, yeah. if you come to you know, Jesus for, uh, you know, physical health, then he's not your God. Physical health is. Mm-hmm. Just substitute whatever you want in there. Anything that you're looking to." To fill your life in the way that only God can is an idol in our lives. So, who can come? Anyone who thirsts. Where do we go? We go to a person. We go to Jesus. Then what do we do? What must we do to come to Jesus? Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Come and drink. But right here, right there in the passage, Jesus parallels coming and drinking with believing. So look at verse 38, 39 again. He says, uh, or 37, 38 again. He says, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So coming and drinking are just another way for Jesus to describe what it looks like to believe in him. Jesus' invitation to believe is not an invitation to mentally assent to some facts about him. It's an invitation to be satisfied in him, to love him, to treasure him. I think a lot of people think that Christianity is about suppressing your desires. Some people think that Christianity is all about denying yourself pleasure so that you can go to heaven one day. If I just deny myself enough and, you know, really just kind of suffer through this life, then I'll have a mansion in heaven one day and I'll just kind of have this, you know, hope out there that, yeah, life is going to kind of be boring right now and I'm not going to get to have, to have all the fun that all the people in the world are, but I'm, but I'm doing it for a good cause and it'll be worth it one day. That's not Christianity. Come on now. That's not Christianity. That's more akin to like, Buddhism where you, you know, try to, you know, uh, uh, Basically, the philosophy of Buddhism is that the way that you reach nirvana is you get to a place where you don't have any more desires and you free yourself of all desire. That's not Christianity at all. Jesus doesn't call you to suppress your desire. He calls you to fulfill your desire in the right place. So desire itself is not our problem. Misplaced desire is our problem. Misplaced desire is our problem. Let me read you Jeremiah 2, 12 and 13. I think really help, will help us understand this. So the Lord uh, is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to his people. Here's what it says. It says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living waters, and they have dug cisterns for themselves Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So a cistern was just like a hole in the ground, basically, that would hold water. And what the Lord is saying is that I am the fountain of living water. And the essence of sin is that people abandon me and then go try to dig for themselves cisterns that can't even hold water. They don't even work. Mm. This is such a great description of what sin is. It's abandoning God and looking to the things that God has made to do for you what only God can do. 
And the Lord calls the heavens to be shocked at this. He says, be shocked, be appalled. Why? Because it's spiritual insanity. And it's treason against the Most High God. Uh, maybe you've heard uh, the famous C.S. Lewis quote. I'll read it to you. Lewis said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Again, our problem is not that we desire pleasure. Our problem is that we are settling for far lesser glory when we seek to satisfy our thirst in money or sex or food or whatever else it might be. Jesus invites us into true pleasure and true delight. He's not interested in, in our dutiful religious devotion. He wants our hearts. He wants the thirsty to come to him and to drink deeply and to be satisfied. Let me give you an illustration that might help you understand how this glorifies God. So if I were uh, to go uh, you know, tomorrow and go out to the store and get uh, some brand new diamond earrings and a dozen roses and bring them home to Jen, to my wife, and she were to say, wow, like, what's the, what, Jared, what's the occasion? And I were to say, well... Um, it's my duty as a good husband to do things like this every now and then for you, so please accept my offering. <laughs> now, <laughs> would that make Jen feel treasured? Would that make her feel valuable? Would that make her just feel all warm and fuzzy inside? <laughs> no, probably not. Now, if I came home with these gifts and said something like, I brought you this gift because you mean more to me than anything in the world. I love you and I want to express how valuable you are to me by giving you my best. How do you think that would make her feel? Come on now. That's a lot different, isn't it? So you see, here's, here, here's something important. What's interesting is that in both instances, I brought diamond earrings and I brought a dozen roses, right? I did the same thing. But what was different about those two examples? It was the motives of heart, right? It was the approach. It was what was driving the action. So you can serve the Lord in the church and you can read your Bible and you can pray and you can do all those things. But if you're doing it out of duty rather than out of delight, you're missing the point. Like... What you're really doing is you're trying to earn and hurry God's favor. And you're missing out on the joy that he offers you and the delight that he wants to give you. This is what Jesus meant later with his interaction with the Samaritan woman in John 4 when he said, The hour is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So my question for you is, are you serving God out of duty or out of delight? There's a, a massive difference between the two. It can look pretty similar on the outside. But when you, take the, when, you, when you remove the lid and you look inside, there's a huge difference. Are you reading your Bible and praying in the morning because you're hoping for results? Or because you long to be with Jesus? Because you love him and you want him more than anything else. Do you serve on Sunday mornings as a volunteer out of duty 
or because you delight in presenting your best to the Lord, because Christ died for you on the cross and he's your treasure and you just want to do the best that you can to offer something back to him as a sweet sacrifice. God is much more glorified and you will have much more joy when you serve him out of delight. So let's look at the last question. What are the results? Jesus' invitation to eternal satisfaction, we've talked about who can come, where they should go, what they must do, and now what will the result be when we come to Jesus? So Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus is saying here that those who come to him will never be thirsty again. When you come to Jesus, you don't just get a drink. You get a fountain of living water. John clarifies in verse 39 that the rivers of living water that Jesus refers to is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit. So Jesus promises that those who believe in him will be satisfied forever because the spirit of the God who satisfies dwells in us. Coming to Jesus means receiving a never-ending supply of satisfaction in God. Come on now. So for Christians, that means we never have to go looking anywhere else for satisfaction ever again. You don't have to wonder, I wonder if there's something out there that I need. I wonder if there's something out there, if there's a new career or if there's a new relationship or a new this or a new that that might make my life better. No, your answer every single time is Jesus. If you're feeling a little bit discontent, if your eyes are starting to wonder, fix them back on Jesus. There's no other answer for you. There's no other source of satisfaction. Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 7, he said, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The helper is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said, it's actually better that I go away because then I'll send the Holy Spirit who will dwell within you. So Jesus isn't just with us as Christians. He's in us. Mm. Amen. We don't have to go to a temple to be in God's presence or go through a priest to get to God. This is the amazing gift that God gives to those who believe. But, as I said, I think there's a problem. Because I think if many Christians are honest, they don't often feel satisfied. It doesn't feel like rivers of satisfying water are flowing out of your heart. Mm. And let's be honest about this, I suspect that at least some of the time, almost every Christian would rather have Jesus physically here by our side. And we're like, Jesus, yeah, I hear you when you say it's better for me that I go away because then I can send the Spirit. But we're like, but I'd really kind of wish that Jesus was physically here by my side instead. I feel like that would be better. But Jesus says, no, it's not better. It's better that I send the Holy Spirit and that he dwell within you. So do we actually believe Jesus when he says it's better that he go away? And if we have a hard time believing it, why is that? Come on now. I think it's because many times we don't reap the benefits of this privilege because we walk by the flesh instead of the spirit. We don't listen to the Holy Spirit. We crowd out his voice with noise so we can scarcely recognize it. Too many Christians are discontent even though they have the Spirit of God because they're living like the world. Mm. 
Too many Christians want the same things that the world clamors for to be satisfied. If you are a Christian, then the Spirit of Jesus, who gives never-ending rivers of satisfying living water, already dwells inside of you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. Romans 8 9 says that anyone who has anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So it, that means if you are a Christian, then you do have the Holy Spirit inside of you. These rivers of satisfying living water dwelling in you. So why would you look anywhere else? And many of you, especially those of you who are younger, are restless. You don't know how to be still or unoccupied. You aren't content with where God has you in life. It's not enough simply to spend a day being with Jesus. And I know because I've been there before. I've wrestled with this. And Jesus is inviting you and I into everlasting pleasure and satisfaction this morning. Let me give you a couple of practical ways you can turn from broken cisterns and drink deeply of Jesus if you're a believer and your eyes have been wondering. First of all, practice fasting. If fasting is not something that's a regular part of your life, it ought to be. First of all, because it's not a suggestion in the Bible, it's a command. All right. But secondly, there's a reason that Jesus calls us to it because it's a step of faith where we're saying we're, we're specifically abstaining from food for a period of time because we're expressing faith and belief that I need Jesus more than I need food and that Jesus will satisfy me more than food can, more than food will. It's intentionally setting aside the time that you would normally take to eat to go and to spend being with Jesus and putting his promise to the test, right? That like it's actually going and experiencing that he really can and he really will satisfy you unlike anything that this world can. We fast corporately as a church once a month on the third Wednesday of the month. I'd encourage you to join us uh, next month in November on the third Wednesday when we fast together. Another thing you can do is go on a one-day retreat with no technology. Don't, don't. Turn your phone off. Don't take your laptop. Just take your Bible, a pen, and a notepad. Get alone with God and spend some time meditating on his word. Don't take in other voices. Just be content with his voice. And what you'll find is that it'll be really hard, which will only reinforce what I'm telling you, is that we have a really hard time just being satisfied and being content in Jesus. I think you'd be surprised at how dependent you are on you know, looking to other things like pulling this thing out and, you know, seeing what's going on in the world. And we, we have a hard time being still because we're discontent, because we don't actually believe that Jesus is enough to satisfy us. We say we do, but we prove that we don't actually believe it by our actions because we're always busy, 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 always filling our schedules, always filling our time. Try like opening up some time in your schedule where there's nothing but Jesus and let him satisfy you and fill you. And another practical thing you might do is give up. Give up social media for a season or Netflix or whatever it is. Take a fast from it. Or you can just get rid of it all together. You will survive. I promise you, you will. Did you know, I'm, I'm going to share something that you might not know. So this is going to blow your mind. Did you know that all of humanity has gotten, got by without social media for all of human history up until 10 years ago? All of human history has somehow they made it. Somehow they survived. They did it. We can do it. I'm not binding your conscience. I'm not telling you you have to do it. I'm not saying it's a sin to be on social media, but pray about it. I am saying you should pray about it. 
especially if it's something that you know you have a hard time saying no to and you're constantly on it mm. and it's like an addiction in your life, well, sometimes you might need to cut off that hand or gouge out that eye mm. if it's keeping you from Jesus. Amen. And here's a word of wisdom too. What, you know, whether it's fasting or it's turning to social media or you know, things like that, persist in these things. Mm. It's not going to be instant gratification. Right. Yeah. Right? It's not like you can fast for one day or give up social media for a week and then, bam, your contentment is through the roof. It's like, wow, my problem's fixed. I'm not discontent anymore. No, no, no. It's going to take consistency and persistency over time. Mm. The flesh does not go down easy. Your flesh will kick and scream. And you may have some ups and downs and you may even, you know, mess up and fail. But you push on by trusting that God keeps his promises and that Jesus is better. You push on even though it's difficult. You persist in doing these things. Jesus died for you so that you so that he could give you the precious gift of his indwelling spirit forever. Notice in verse 39, Jesus says the spirit or the, uh, John says the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Mm. What does that mean? Jesus had to be glorified before the promise of the Holy Spirit could come. Mm. Jesus was glorified in his crucifixion, right. death, resurrection, and ascension. That had to happen before he could give us the gift of the Holy mm. Spirit. Jesus died the death we deserved on the cross. And because of his humble obedience, he was vindicated in his resurrection, exalted back to the throne in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And he's coming back again. But in the meantime, he sent us the promise of the Holy Spirit. So walk by the Spirit. Let him satisfy you with the rivers of living water that will flow out from your heart. Have you received this gift? I invite you, if you never have, to do so today. Come on now. Have you been neglecting this gift as a Christian? I invite you to repent of those broken cisterns and turn back to God today. Anyone who is thirsty can come. Anyone who is thirsty is invited to come to a person, to Jesus Christ, who will satisfy us forever. All we have to do is come and drink. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to fix yourself up. And all who thirst, all the thirsty who come to Jesus and drink will be satisfied forever with rivers of living water. I'll close with the words of Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, this invitation from the Lord. He says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? We're going to respond to the message this morning by taking the Lord's Supper together.